Has anyone's life got a little bit more complicated over the past few weeks? Just mine. Okay, two hands, three hands up there. Okay, complicated. In fact, if you've been running with us and following with us over the past five weeks, we have been running with a a person's diary by the name of Joseph, looking at a part of the Bible in Genesis um, that talks about this one particular family that got real complicated. In fact, the complications in their life were around family, was around workplace, um, was around siblings and the rivalry between. And we've had an insight into the life of this one young man, 17 years of age at the time. And uh, he was unpacking his complications. And we've discovered along the way that there's been two things that are hanging over his head. The first thing that he was hanging out, I'll just get this working and make sure it's complicated. In fact, has anyone used that phrase, that term of phrase in the last few weeks? You've found yourself in a situation and you found yourself saying, it's complicated. I've at least heard it once or twice myself and gone, you know what? Uh, If there's nothing else that is connected with you over the past five weeks, I hope that at least the phrase has along the way. But there's two things hanging over Joseph's life. The first one is that he had a dream, a complicated dream, when he was 17. And he shared it with his brothers. That's what got him into trouble in the first place. He said that his family was bowing down to him if you want doing homage to him. And he didn't know what that meant. It was complicated at the time. But this week, we're going to finally see how that works itself through. But the second thing that hung over his life was a promise that God had made to his forefather, his grandfather, by the name of Abraham. At some time in the past, God had spoken to Abraham and said these words, Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. There's a lot of blessing in that. In fact, the idea of uh, this calling on Abraham's life was that through him, through his family, it was just him and Sarah at the time, no children, elderly, couldn't see it coming. And God said, you're going to actually be used so that when people look at you and your descendants, your family members, and the people who will lock into your ancestry, you're supposed to reflect me through it. When people look at you, they're supposed to see me. And it said that Abraham believed that against the odds. And God credited him as being in right with him. Simple faith, simple trust in what God had said meant that Abraham was in the right with God. And so these two things hung over Joseph's life. And if you've been traveling with us over the past five weeks, we've been kind of asking this question along the way that goes something like this. If I become a follower of God... If I place my trust in Jesus, if I call myself a Christian, will my my complicated life become uncomplicated? And the answer that we've been given along the way is actually no. What you find along the way, though, is that there's a God who's willing to work in and through your complications so that he might do his work and his bidding in your life. Because the subtext is that life is more about just you and I. Life is about God and what he wants to do in and through people like you and me. Let me just say that again. If you're here this morning and you're wondering if I become a God follower, if I'm checking out Jesus, if I put my trust in him, will my complicated life become uncomplicated? The Bible seems to give the answer all the way through is actually no. But what you discover is that there is a God who's willing to work in and through your lives if you open them up to him. Such that through your complications, God might work for his good to bring about his purposes so that people actually might get to see who a bit of he is in your life. And so you actually connect that thread 
with that same promise that was given to Abraham centuries ago. So last week we discovered that Joseph finally, finally, finally got free. Finally elevated to a good place where he is in second in charge of the entire nation. And from there he is gathering wheat and grain so when seven years of famine come, they'll be able to save lives and save the world. So today we're going to try to bring it to a head. We're going to draw it to a close and see where we get to. So are you ready? Really? Are you ready? Because you're looking at me this morning and you're going, man, it's cold outside. It's warm in here. I want to sleep, you know? You need a coffee. Okay, all right. So here's where we go. Firstly, there's seven years of famine. They're two years into it. And all of a sudden, there's, there's famished. The land is famished. There's no food anywhere. And Jacob, Joseph's father, he doesn't know it, actually realizes that there's grain on offer down in Egypt because Joseph's collecting it all, has been. He's now distributing it. So he says to his brothers, I want you to go down and get some grain for us so we can survive and live here in Canaan. And so they do. Unbeknownst to them, they head down to Egypt, and it just so happens that Joseph is the one who is actually distributing all the grain. So his brothers come, and this is what happens. Now, if you want to follow with us, Genesis chapter 42, if you've got a Bible there, or follow it through in the, on the Bible app, or just read from the screen. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Wait a second. We've, we've dreamt about this before, haven't we? As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now you can imagine after 22 years now, to all of a sudden see your brothers finally arrive, you would meet that with mixed emotions, you'd imagine. What you thought was dealt with in your life, all of a sudden just resurfaces. Have you ever had that before in your life? You felt you dealt with something, and then all of a sudden it just kind of percolates up a smell, a sound, a face, a word, and it's there again. And this is what Joseph finds himself in. And so he's scrambling. He's scrambling in this moment, and he kind of accuses them of spying out the land. He's kind of messing with them, but he's scrambling at the same time. And this is their response. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then it says... Only then did Joseph remember his dream from 22 years ago. His dreams about them and said to them, no, no, you are spies. So he's kind of messing with them in that moment. So he throws them in jail. And after three days, he comes to them. He says, tell me about your family. I want to see if you are telling me the truth. And so he pries in. He wants to find out what's been happening to my family back home, my father, about my brother, Benjamin? What, what's, what's taking place in their lives? And so he presses in. And so they tell him about what's been going on and they reveal that father's alive and that he's got a brother, Benjamin, still there. And so he says to them, I'm going to check to see if you're telling me the truth or not. All of you can go home, but he ties Simeon up and he places him in jail and he says, you cannot come back here until you prove that you're not that you've actually been telling me the truth. So you go home and you bring the youngest, this person, Benjamin, back to me so I can see him in the flesh. Wow. So as they're heading home, what they don't realize is that Joseph has also set them up a little bit. He puts their money back in their money bags that they've used to buy the grain. So when they're on their way home, they open up their grain bags, they find the money. And so all of these things starts to collapse around the brothers and they start to draw this conclusion. 
He says, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man. This is the conversation with Joseph, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest one is now with our father. And one, referring to Joseph, they said, is no more. They're telling the truth. And then as, as that starts to unpack itself and as the brothers start to talk before they leave to go home, this is what they say. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. They're here, they're down in Egypt, and all of a sudden this second in charge starts messing in their lives and, and, and calling them spies. And they've just come down to buy grain and they're wondering what on earth is happening. Why is it this calamity and this complication is happening in our lives? And that triggers a response in them. And they realize and they start to talk to themselves. They say, I know what this is about. This is God trying to catch up with us. You see, they lived by a bit of a lie 22 years ago. They kind of dealt with life like this. If we can just get rid of our brother, Joseph... If we can just get him out of our lives, we can sell him off, dust our hands and wipe our hands and say it's all done with and then get on with life. But you see, life doesn't work that way, does it? Life usually catches up to us. Life catches up. God catches up. We get caught up. And so after 22 years, the brothers still with it lurking in the back of their minds, they conclude this. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw, first time we discover, their, their experience of Joseph putting him into the pit, pulling him out and selling him. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, the oldest, I love this, didn't I tell you? <laughs> the blame, the blame game. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They see this situation and the complication of it, and they connect it back to this deed 22 years ago, and they have no idea how connected this deed and this action is right before their face. And so they head home, and Joseph sets them up again with the money in their bags, and they open it up, and they go, we are being set up. What is going on here? They get back to their father, Jacob, and they tell him, of the complications down in Egypt. And Jacob says, you are not taking my youngest, Benjamin. You've already not protected one of my boys, and he's no more. You are not taking Benjamin. And they plead with their dad. They say, Dad, Simeon's still down there. We've got to go down there. If we run out of food, then what? And he wouldn't budge. But then when the rubber hits the road and the grain's all gone, finally, 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 Jacob turns to his brothers and Judah talks to him and says, Dad, I guarantee it on my life. And so he lets Benjamin go with him. And they head down to Egypt again, I'm sure filled with fear and trepidation. And they finally arrive because of the money that was left in their bags. And they make an explanation and they say, here, we don't know how it happened. We bought our grain last time, but someone put the money back in our bags. And the servant of Joseph says, it's okay. That was, that was a gift. That was all right. Come and meet at the house where, where Joseph lives. And then finally, they're there together. And Joseph is before them. And this is what happens. And he looked about and saw his brother, Benjamin, his own mother's son. And he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son, deeply moved at the sight of his brother Benjamin after 22 years. Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went into his private room and he wept. It's just bubbling, just scratched below the surface. 
He sees his flesh and blood, his brother, and it bubbles away. And so he has a dinner with them. He sets out a pride of place and they're astonished that he's just actually arranged them all in their birth order. I mean, he's messing with their heads. He's pushing them into a corner and he's pushing himself into a corner. He doesn't quite know what he's doing, how he's doing it, but he presses them. And then they go away from that dinner thinking, well, we've got the blessing of this man, Joseph. But Joseph plays a trick again. He places his silver goblet. He gets his servant to place a silver goblet in Benjamin's sack. And so as they've journeyed away, all of a sudden, Joseph says, now go get him. And Joseph sends out his servants and they run out and they meet the brothers that are heading back to Canaan. And they go through all of the bags and the sacks. Am I missing up some of the names? And it goes back all through the bags and the sacks. And finally, it gets to Benjamin's sack and they find the silver goblet. And the servants turn to him and say, what are you doing trying to deceive our master? See, you are crooked people. And they, they, they are astonished because it's a setup again and they're being messed with and they get brought back to Joseph. And here they are, they're standing face to face. And this is Joseph's chance to get his revenge. I mean, this is the moment. This is the moment where he can finally do payback. This is the moment where he can finally, finally look them in the eye and get his comeuppance. And this is what happens. He says to the brothers, Benjamin, the one who did the wrong by stealing my silver goblet, he can stay here with me. And all the rest of you can go back to your father in Canaan. Just pushes them a little bit further. And Judah at this moment, he, he, he launches into this conversation and he pleads with Joseph, the second in charge of the land. He says, so now... He says to Joseph, if the boy is not with us when we go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is so closely bound up with this boy's life, sees that the boy isn't here, he'll die. He'll die. So please don't take any one of us, but don't let Benjamin stay here and be separated from his father. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. And it says at this very moment when Joseph's been messing with him and he's been pushing him and he's, been, he's pushed himself into a corner, it says at this moment the damn wall breaks. The damn wall breaks and Joseph orders all of his servants out. He locks all of the doors to his, to his palace or his household and he says he wails so loudly that even word gets back to Pharaoh himself. And he stands in front of his brothers and he says these words. Now face to face, he says, I am Joseph. I'm not Phil Walker. I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. Joseph is standing there face to face in front of his brothers. And for the first time in 22 years, he looks them in the eye and he says, you sold me. You sold me. You sold me. You sold me, but God, you complicated my life. 
you disturbed it, you messed with it, you were wrong, it was evil, it was sinful, it was, it was brutal. But God. You see, there are times in our lives when the things that just bubble below the surface need to be confronted and dealt with. And clearly in Joseph's experience, he'd reached a point where he wasn't venting bitterness. But still after the percolating of all that had happened and took place, it just kind of overwhelms. And there's moments in our lives where we need to stare down the face of wrong and evil and sin and just call it for what it is. It's wrong. What you did to me is wrong. What was done to me is wrong. Sometimes the only way we can experience healing in our lives is when we face those very things. We name it. We say, this is wrong. Others name it for you. Someone names it for you. And you stare it in the eye and you call it for what it is. There's some things in our lives that we can find we can sweep under. You know that. We can just sweep under and it kind of doesn't heal. It just stays there in that room in that hidden space and it kind of messes with our heads every now and then, but it just percolates below the surface. And sometimes the only way we can move through in life is when we actually name it and say, this is what it is, it's wrong. In fact, what we discover about God and what we discover about any human condition is that the brothers thought they were sovereign over Joseph. They thought we're controlling his life, but they weren't. We're controlling his life. We'll do this deed. We'll do this evil. We'll do this wrong. And no one will know. We'll wash our hands. It'll all be clean. And it wasn't. You see, that's how sin and evil work. The only reason why Joseph was there in the first place is he was sold because of wrong, because of sin. See, the Bible talks about the human condition like this. So it's not that you're good people who occasionally do bad things, it's that you're broken to the core. Joseph's brothers were broken to the core. Jesus said it this way. He said, it's what comes not into your mouth that makes you unclean, it's what comes out. Envy, greed, lust, anger, all of these things are what make you unclean. The Bible isn't saying that you are a terrible, terrible, bad person. It's simply saying this. You're only relatively good and you need a fixing and you need a healing And you need a forgiving. That's what God does. And that's what Joseph's been doing. And so what he discovers is he can name it and say, you have sold me. But I tell you this, as I've opened up my life to God and trusted in him, I've discovered this. What you thought you were sovereign over my life, you don't have that power. It's actually God who's sovereign over my life and he's worked his good. And so he goes on and he says these most profound words. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. That's what my dream was about. That's what my Abraham, the promise was to him about, is to keep you alive so the promise may go on. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire house, and ruler of all Egypt. My friends, I want to ask you a simple question this morning in light of Joseph's story is this. What are you dragging around? What are you dragging around being chained to in the past that you need to deal with? So that you too might be able to say of this, those people aren't sovereign over me. It's actually God who is and it's God who's at work here in me. What are you dragging around? What are you dragging around that needs to be dealt with, needs to be opened up to? Maybe you're here this morning and you've led a life that said, you know what, I'm in control of it all. I'm the man of my own destiny. I'm the woman of of my future. 
And you've realized along the way that in your dependence, independence of everyone else, you need a help. And that's what God's for. Not to actually control your lives, but to come into it and influence and to shape it. Because he wants to for his good. To open up your life, to open up your heart so that he actually might carry you. You see, there's a passage in the Bible in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Some of you who have traveled with church circles for a while might have heard this before. And it was shared to you in goodness, but actually felt like a sting and a slap in the face. And it goes like this, when complications hit your life. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose purpose. You might have experienced pain and hardship in your life and someone said to you, oh, don't you know, God's going to work it for good, so it'll, it'll all be okay. And you've thought, really? In my desperation, in my brokenness, in my heartache, in my complications, really? Will God do that? But what Paul is pressing in here and saying at a deeper level is, God knows the complications. God knows the pains and the heartaches, but he can use them if you open up your life to him and continue to entrust yourself to him. Don't you know that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes? And it goes on in verse 29 and says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his very own Son. You see, it seems that God is in the business of taking our complications And if you like, using the cracks that they form in our own lives and the crevices that when we either open up our lives to him or push him away and resent him, if we rest in him, he wants to bring us to a place where through those cracks, he can work a healing work and that his light can shine through. It's when his light shines through that people might be able to say in a month, in two months, in five years, 10 years, 15 years, you know what? It was God, it was God, it was God who was at work. Friends, usually when complications come in our lives, there's two things we can do. Push God away and resent him. We'll say, God, would you come and do a work in me? I don't want to drag this chain around anymore. I want to move forward in my life. And you give a simple promise just like Joseph. God's the sovereign one, even in our hardship, even in our complications, even in our challenges. And he dares us to believe, just like Abraham, that that promise is for us, for anyone, for anyone who would call on God. The band is going to come in a moment. They're going to play a quiet song. We're going to take a space... I thought at the end of our series of Joseph, we might do a reflection. We've brought some tables here, and if you're new and you're just checking out God this morning, we do this thing called communion. It's a time in remembering Jesus' life and death and his come to life again. And I thought if you would like to, you could be involved in a reflective space so that as they play, that you might take some time where you might pray, where you might reflect or where you might respond by coming and taking a cup, taking some bread and actually reflecting upon a gift that God has given you in his son Jesus. 
And the reason I did that is because I got asked a question or there was a statement made about two months ago. I said to someone, you should pray about that. And they said, I don't want to pray to God. I said, why not? They said, I was praying that God would deliver Andrew Chang and Michael Sukaraman. And he didn't. So I'm angry. I don't want to pray. <laughs> I love the honesty of that. I did some reading this week about Michael Chang, Andrew Chang, Michael Sukaraman. And the question I'd been asking myself at the time is that, was it good that they got caught trying to smuggle drugs back into Australia? Was it good or not? In smuggling drugs in their life. And then I read about their stories. They said in the years that they were in jail, actually, Andrew Chang's, they both had a conversion experience. You go, okay, well, is that just messing with the government to try and get out? Andrew Chang actually studied for six years to become a pastor of a church, the church in jail that he would lead. Didn't know that. And the two of them, well, Andrew Chang would actually lead the church services, and they'd both be so involved with the inmates there that actually by the end of the time, there were inmates who said, would you take our lives instead of these guys? Didn't know that. And then um, what I heard about, they asked the lawyers, their lawyers, they said, actually, we don't want to, we just want to have life imprisonment. If you spare our lives, just life imprisonment, because we want to stay here and work amongst our church here. And then I read on and it said that when they were walking to their execution, Andrew Chang, he didn't like wearing glasses, but he put on his glasses so he could look at his executioners. And the two of them, I didn't know this, is that there were crosses, crosses that were set up. And the way that they were executed, if it's okay to just, is that they would actually be, um, they were tied to the cross, feet and hands. And there was someone, a lady who was supposed to be in the middle of the two of them, but she got a reprieve just before it. And so there was two men and a vacant cross. And it says that as they were walking to their execution, they were singing Amazing Grace. And there was a group of people who were next to them in a tent who were their minders singing with them as well. They said the guards were weeping. And they were on the cross. And then they sang in the final moments this song that we've sung here, 10,000 Reasons. So was it good they got caught? Maybe they lived more full lives in that last 10 years than they'd ever lived in their lives. Andrew Chang wrote his own eulogy and it says this. In my last moments, so this was read out at his funeral, in my last moments here on earth, I sang out hallelujah. I ran the good race. I fought the good fight and came out a winner in God's eyes. My friends, if that's not redemption, if that's not transformation, I don't know what is. 
So was it good they got caught? Don't you know that in all things, when you open up your heart and your mind to God to help you, He wants to work for good. So that He will conform you into the image of His Son, who said on His night before He was betrayed, Not my will, Father, but yours. Because this, isn't this what complications do in our lives? They fracture us a little bit. And we think those severs are so great, those fissures are so deep, they can't be healed. But when God does his healing, it seems as though the cracks are there, but his light can shine into them and through them. So tell me, was that a witness to the glory and wonder of God? Two men with the silent risen man right there amongst them. So this morning, as these guys play lovely music, if you would like to respond, maybe you're here for the first time and you're going, if you want to draw close to Jesus, then I would invite you to come down here and take one of these glasses, take a piece of bread, go back to your table, your chair, and quietly, would you eat and drink? Saying thank you for who he is, what he's done, and would you ask him into the crevices of your life? What are you dragging around? Ask him for healing. And if it's new to you and you'd like to participate, there's a card that you can take with you as well, and it'll explain it. But when you see it at Eat and Drink, there's a station there and there and there. And if you want to just sit where you are, that's fine too. But in this space, I'd invite you to come if you'd like to respond.